You're listening to The Blind Stealing the Blinds, a podcast by students of the game for students of the game. Join Dell and BJ in conversations about poker theory and bridging the gap between theory and application. We're all in this together. This week's topic, the thin line between showdown and thin value. Hey, Dell, how's it going this week? It's going pretty good, other than my inability to snap my fingers. <laughs> we need to put some context on that. When Dell and I record podcasts, the way that he and I synchronize our audio is by snapping our fingers because in the recording software we use, it shows up as these two big vertical spikes. Makes it really easy to align both his and my audio. Dell cannot snap his fingers, and I make fun of him every week. <laughs> it's really hard for me to align audio when I don't know when he starts. So that's the context. You listeners all got to hear some of the sausage making, some of the magic behind the scenes, <laughs> but that's not really why we're here. What's going on, Dell? What's new? Oh, geez, not much. Actually, I'm kind of in the same bind I was last week. We still have frozen pipes. It's, uh, yeah, it's getting a little tiresome. Basically, uh, six out of the last 10 days, my pipes have been frozen. <laughs> How are you doing? That cannot be fun. I know we talked last week and you mentioned you're in the middle of a forest. And this happens. It's cold. What are you doing for showers? Just like icicle showers, like sponge baths? I don't. Okay, if you're doing sponge baths, don't tell me. Don't answer that question. Well, I'm going to be honest. Like, I'm on the road for four days every week. So I have a membership, a gym that basically is everywhere, uh, Planet Fitness. And I got my showers there usually. <laughs> so, so there's that. And then there's the fact that we've gotten used to losing our water here in Vermont. So we save up water. So, yeah, there's the whole sponge bath thing you don't want me to tell you about. <laughs> getting used to not having water is something I don't think anyone should ever have to get used to. <laughs> so how's your week going? My week is going well. My father is visiting, so I kicked him out of the basement and told him, you got to get your butt upstairs. I'm recording a podcast. Now, I know that sounds cruel, but when he decided to come to visit, I told him, you know we record on Sundays, right? He said, yeah, yeah, I know. So he's going to hang upstairs. After I'm done, we're going to come back downstairs and play pool. We've been doing nothing except playing pool and drinking bourbon and smoking the occasional cigar. It's a pretty good life. Not going to lie. It's a pretty good life. He is way better at pool than I am. I need to really up-level my game. The problem is, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago with priorities and finding out where you want to spend your time, I have too much going on. Golf, poker, exercising, practicing guitar, reading, podcasting. I don't know if I have enough time to dedicate getting good at pool. So I might just suck at pool and enjoy the time my father, even though I suck at pool. And that's really hard for me to do. It is really hard for me to enjoy something I suck at. That's my problem with poker. <laughs> this is a good segue into the topic of our podcast. This is something I think a lot of people suck at at poker, and it's identifying that thin line between showdown value and thin value. And I'm not going to lie. We leave a lot of money on the table every year, every month, maybe even every session. Think about it. If you are at the river, now, granted, you're not in a river spot often. Let's say you get to a river spot three times a session. And one of those times, you just check it down because you're not sure if you have thin value or showdown value. So you check it down, maybe out of fear, whatever. You lost the opportunity to bet half pot, which might at that point comprise 20, 30, 50 big blinds in the pot. Let's say you win. 
that's 50 big blinds extra that you would not have had at the end of that session. Let's say you play a five-hour session. That's 10 big blinds per hour extra you just gained from learning the difference and executing between showdown value and thin value. If you do that over and over and over, you would crush any stakes you're playing. I know I fall in that trap. Dell, you probably fall in that trap. Most of our listeners fall in that trap. So I'm, I'm loving the fact that we're doing this episode. I think you pretty much hit the problem right on the head here, you know, is that what happens, get to the river spots and we turn thin value into a showdown hand. And this, this is a travesty. This is an absolute travesty. And this usually happens from fear. Sometimes the opposite happens. Sometimes we turn a showdown hand into trying to get thin value, and then we end up losing money when the only thing that can call us is a better hand. And that generally happens due to overconfidence or an absolute inability to understand our opponent's range at that point. What did they show up here with? This is like key. We need to take and define what is the difference between showdown value and thin value. And we need to take as many of those thin value spots as we can because this is this is the difference between an okay player and a really good player a really good player is always looking for those value spots where they can gain a little bit more where they can add a little bit more to their win rate yeah i I do want to add we're talking about river spots here and by and large you are going to encounter pre-flop decision making problems and post-flop decision making problems far more regularly than you will these tricky river spots. But if you add this to your arsenal, it's going to be a massive game changer. Obviously, the big thing here is identifying it, but how do we go about identifying the difference between a showdown hand and a thin value hand? And when we're looking at that, everything starts with ranging our opponent. It was the old hand reading. It's the same thing. Hand reading, ranging your opponent, it's everything here. This is like literally the thing. And here's the thing. If you show up on the river and then ask, what can my opponent have here? You've done it wrong. If you get to the river and you don't know what your opponent could have, this is not the time to start ranging. Because what happens, we get to that river spot and we haven't been ranging our opponent and we get to the river spot and it's like, do I want to go for thin value here? If you're predisposed to it, you're going to go back and you're going to look and you're not going to remember the action the way it happened, you're going to remember it the way you want it to happen to justify the play you're about to make. So we want to be ranging on every street so that when we get to the river, we already know what our opponents show up with. We want to be taking a look at every action pre-flop, every action on the flop, every action on turn, and, and taking into account exactly how this is going to narrow and compress our opponent's range. Absolutely. I think, I think ranging is one of the key skills that any poker player needs to succeed in today's games. You can't just bet, bet, bet and expect to win every single hand out of aggression because like what happened to me, it's going to work every single time until it doesn't. And then you get your butt handed to you and you go home with no money and that's terrible. Yeah, we, we need to range our opponents street by street by street thinking, now when we get to the river, we're not going to know exactly what they have. We're not going to be able to soul read them and say, I know they have Jack King off, specifically Jack of Spades, King of Diamonds. No, but you're going to be able to put them on a range and hopefully that range isn't 1,000 hands. 
Hopefully that range is something closer to 10, 15, 20 hands. And the trick is trying to figure out how many of those hands beat you versus how many hands you beat. And we really got to ask ourselves a couple questions when we get to the river. If I bet, what hands are going to call me that I beat? If we're at a river spot and we make a bet and the only hands that call our bet are hands that crush us, there is no possible universe in which we win that hand. That's one big thing. I mean, are there other questions we should ask, Dal? Yeah, you know, we want to ask, are any of those hands in my opponent's range, right? It doesn't matter if there are hands that we beat would call us if they're not in our opponent's range. It doesn't matter if king-queen suited would call us if our opponent doesn't get to the river with king-queen suited based on the action and the board texture. So we want to know if that's in their range. We also want to know, and this is very important, and this is the hardest part of this, we want to know what the bet size is that's going to get those hands we beat to call us. Because it's not always half pot. We mentioned half pot earlier, but it might be a third pot. It might be 25%. It's going to be very player dependent. If you've got a player that's going to call you with fifth pair, and you've got second pair, and they're going to do that all day long, you might as well bet pot, right? If betting pot means they fold all the hands you beat, if they're only calling a pot size bet with two pair or better, well, then it's a mistake to bet pot, right? We want to bet what they would take and call with hands that we beat. And, it, and, it, and that's it's not easy. First, we have to start with the population tendency. What would the basic population do in that situation? The reason we have to start there is, when we first sit at a table, we don't know the players, um, unless it's a game we've played over and over again. But as we play, we're supposed to be learning those players. So we start out with, you know, maybe the first hand we get to the river, it's like, well, what would the general population call with here? But at some point it becomes, what would this specific player call with here? That's why we need to pay attention when we're not in the hand. We're only going to arrive at river spots maybe two, three, four times in a session. But that doesn't mean our opponents are not going to arrive at river spots more frequently or less frequently. When we're not in the hand, we need to be paying attention to what they do so that we can figure out the difference between the population tendency and Bob or Joanne. Because when I get to a river spot against Joanne, I want to know ahead of time that they're the type of player that's going to call a full pot bet because they aren't going to believe the story I'm selling. Or I want to go in against Bob and they're only going to call a one-third bet because they're kind of scared, but they know they're getting the right price and they might win. If you're not paying attention when you're not in the hand, then you're missing out on so much information. So I, I know we've said this before, like don't watch ESPN, don't have your nose in your phone, don't be distracted with whatever. You're at the table, Every hand, you need to be in the hand. I don't care if you don't have cards. You need to be in the hand. Yeah, I, I agree. that That's absolutely true because not being in the hand is, is negative EV. <laughs> you know what I mean? Not paying attention to what's going on at the table is negative EV. When we, We've already talked a little bit out of answer question one where it's like we're going to look at population tendencies and, and what would they call. We've talked a little bit about answering question two, actually, because we, we said range is paramount here. We want to have an idea of what combos they have when they get there. And that's what's going to tell us whether or not those hands are in our range. 
the thing that we're looking at mostly here, and you just talked about it when you talk about paying attention, is talking about how our bet size funnels our opponent's range. This is very important because here's the reality. If we get to a point where we're looking at thin value, right, betting too little means we lose value. Betting too much means we lose money. Because when we bet too much, we're funneling our opponent into two categories, folds and calls that beat us. We don't want to funnel them into those two categories, all right? We want to keep the weak part of the range in. Bet size, it's, it's going to be dependent. It's really, you're going to have to pay attention. Every time your opponents get to a river and they have to face a thin value bet or they face a bet from somebody else, see what they show down. This is important. This is the most important thing in ranging is seeing what our opponents show down. That helps us determine what that player is capable of and what they're not capable of. You had mentioned two actions, folding and calling. The thing with thin value is if we make a thin value bet and our opponent raises us, we got to be prepared to bail because the entire premise of thin value is that the equities are relatively thin. We think our opponent might call this bet with a hand that's worse than ours. What are they raising us with? They're pretty much only ever raising us with hands that beat us. If we have ace six suited and we're betting for thin value because we have third pair and they raise us, they're not going to be raising us with just ace high. They're going to have two pair better almost all the time. So if I'm making a thin value river bet and I get raised, I got to be prepared to fold. If you make a thin value bet and you get raised and you're like, screw it, I'm calling anyway, that's a big mental error right there. This is actually, and we kind of didn't catch this earlier, this is actually one of the big problems here. Players are afraid to thin value because they're afraid they'll have to fold. Who cares? You know, this is like the biggest thing. You're like, well, I didn't want to have to fold if I got raised. What do you mean? So you're going to give up what is a long-term plus EV action because you might have to fold here. It doesn't make sense, but it's fear-driven. You know, we mentioned the fear. It's fear-driven. I might have to fold. Well, so don't give up the value because you might have to fold. Nobody has died from folding a hand of cards. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking over my past season, my past 2021 season, and I'm trying to think of examples where somebody bet river and someone else raised. And typically the way this thin value spot goes is that you're the pre-flop aggressor. You continue the aggression on the flop. You continue the aggression on the turn. Maybe both check through on the turn. And then you get to the river. Your opponent is already in a relatively weak position. I can't think of any examples in the past year where somebody bet river and their opponent raised them. Unless it was like a monster versus monster scenario. But not like the example we're talking about with thin value. If you're in the spot where you think you have thin value and you're the pre-flop aggressor and your opponent has shown nothing but passivity thus far, you are likely never to get raised. Maybe one time out of 10, you might get raised. And if you're not willing to fold one time out of 10 and you're not willing to pull the trigger the other nine times, you are losing a ton of value. What I'm trying to talk through here is that the fear is completely unfounded. Nine times out of the 10, you will not be faced with a raise on the river when you're going for thin value. That one time that you are, you can feel completely comfortable folding. And don't think the next time that you do this for thin value again, you're gonna to have to fold again 
because this player owns you and they're gonna soul read you and you're gonna love yourself. Don't level yourself by thinking they're adjusting to you. They're not adjusting to us. Whenever we apply this aggression for thin value, if it succeeds nine times and it fails a tenth, the one time that it fails, it's not like it's gonna fail every other time after that. They're not adjusting to us. There is nothing to be afraid of. And lower stakes are 100% correct. They're not adjusting to us. And on the rare occasion, if, if you got bluffed off of it, who cares? That's part of the game. That doesn't mean you give up an obvious value spot. It doesn't even mean you give up a thin value spot. All right. We get bluffed sometimes. We cannot win every hand. We get raised sometimes. And here's the thing. If you're fearful in poker, you're losing in poker. And and you might even tell yourself, well, no, I've I've got, you know, I've won so far. If you're playing live, yeah, you could probably play two or three years and think you're a winning player and only to find out you never really were. You just had a good run of positive variance. If you're playing fearful poker, you're playing losing poker. I'm going to say that again. If you're playing fearful poker, you're playing losing poker. Okay. Does that mean you should be constantly aggressive with without purpose? No, but you shouldn't be fearful either. There's nothing that happens at the poker table that should do you damage unless you do something silly like play with money you cannot afford to play with. If you're playing with money you can afford to play with, there's nothing at the poker table that should do you damage. And if it is doing you damage, you have to look into why. Because the, you know, the only thing I can think of is, is emotional damage. Because Lord knows the game is tough emotionally. But if it's about damaging you emotionally, you need to look into that. There's nothing to be fearful of at the poker table. Now, that being said, and we've talked about a lot about thin value, I think we need to switch gears and, and take a look at showdown value because it's part of the title, <laughs> you know, and we want to make sure we put in what's in the title. So one of the things is it's still an identification problem. We need to identify the thin value spots. We need to identify the times when the only thing we should be doing is getting the showdown as cheaply as possible. When are those times? And here is the thing, all right? Again, ranging is important. When you have a hand, that is got too much equity to bluff, all right? It's got equity. Bluffing it would be a waste because if you get called, obviously you're not winning. You want to get this hand. You want to get this hand to showdown. And the thing about showdown value is a lot of times we can identify this on the flop, whereas thin value happens pretty much on the river, right? But with showdown value, sometimes we can identify on the flop. Hey, I got third pair here. Maybe I'll take a stab at it here. Oh, I got called? Well, this hand's just become showdown value. I don't need to bet it on a turn unless it improves. I don't need to bet it on a river unless it improves. And that's an example because all that that's if all I think my opponent has in their range are hands that they're going to call with that beat me. I have enough value. I want to take and get the showdown. I have enough value to win a lot of times at showdown, but I don't have enough thin value to bet here. There's just nothing that's going to call me that I beat. So, you know, Dell, when you were mentioning that rubric about showdown value, that we don't want to bet into our opponent because the hands that they will call us with are going to be the hands that beat us. That's the only thing in their range are going to be the hands that beat us. That makes me think about the way that we approach flops, that we don't want to play aggressively on flops that don't really favor our range advantage. Because by and large, you don't want to bet into your opponent's range advantage. We don't want to bet into our player's range advantage. So on the river, 
if the only hands that our opponent has that would call our bets are hands that beat us, there's no reason why we would want to bet. Now let them check, let them check, and then if they check, we check, who knows, maybe our third pair is good. Serendipity, whatever. By and large, we'll probably end up losing though. But we won't be throwing good money after bad. Yeah, I see, the only part I disagree with there is the by and large, we'll be losing, okay? Now remember, the reason it's showdown value is it has showdown value. It's not that the hand has no value. It's got exactly what it's got, showdown value. We want to get the showdown with it. And I'll give you an example of where the mistake happens. You know, somebody's got 7-8 suited, right? And the flop didn't come out to that, hit them. They were the pre-flop aggressor. And I don't know, maybe it gets checked down or even better yet. They bet the flop. They get called on the flop and they decide, okay, I didn't hit anything. I don't have any draws. I don't have anything of value here. The turn goes check, check. Not in the river, they hit a seven, and all of a sudden, they're going to bet it. Well, here's the problem. What is their opponent going to call with? Their opponent already called a bet on the flop, right? Well, what if one of them cards on the flop is less? Maybe they got an opponent that'll stick with third pair. And what if that third pair is a pair of fives? What if they had a small pocket pair, and they're going to call one bet, but that bet is a pair of sixes, right? And you bet the seven, yeah, you win that hand. But what if it wasn't that? What if it was top pair and a crappy kicker? You could have the opportunity to see if you were beating sixes or losing to a king with a crappy kicker, and you bet and you lost a free chance because now they come over the top of you because they know you don't have anything. Right. I think that's the point. I think that's the point. When you're saying showdown value, and the reason why showdown value is what it is, is because it has equity. Your equity in the hand is not zero. That's fine. But you're never going to overrealize your equity by betting in that spot. So why would you try to do that? Just just see see the showdown for as cheaply as you can. And that's the value in it. You want to get the showdown. You want to realize what little equity you have. You want to get some value. You're never going to overrealize your equity by betting. So don't, just don't. You know, that that's so much better a way of putting it. And it's funny because I'm usually the one harping on the, the you know, over-realizing your equity. And you're right. You're never going to over-realize your equity there. And if you bet, you may under-realize your equity. This is the place to be afraid to be raised because you have equity, but you don't have thin value. There's no hands calling you that you beat, but they might show down and you might beat them. There are hands that you beat that might decide to take that point to raise you. I don't think so, but it, it, there, there might be that crazy opponent that does it, but you're never going to overrealize your equity there. All you, The best you can hope for is to realize your equity, and you do that by getting the showdown. When we look at this, you know, we're looking at tools. We have the same tool again. It's the same tools because they work. And, and if you do this, we have Flopsilla again. This is the tool to use or any equity calculator, right? And what you do is you take these equity calculators against an imaginary range, your hand against an imaginary range on each street, there, every equity calculator now has an opportunity to filter so you can see what your opponent should continue with on a flop. And if you do this, what happens is you're going to get very good at ranging your opponents. It's literally going to be a picture in your, your head at the table. Every time something happens, you're going to take it and be able to see on this flop, this is what they should continue with. You're going to have that notion of what it is when you look at that, that 13 by 13 grid in your head. And you're going to be able to know when they get to the river, 
what combos that they're going to have that you might beat that might call you. There's nothing going to be more valuable to developing this skill than running these simulations through an equity calculator. Hand histories, that's the next thing. Take your time, spend your time doing hand histories over and over again. On these river spots, the best thing you can do is say to a coach or another player that's really good at thin value, did I miss value here? And they'll let you know. They'll, you know, you can do a lot of talking through about it. And I think, go ahead. You ask, did I miss value? But the flip side of that is, should I just have checked through? Yeah. Because one side of that coin is, did I miss thin value? And the other side of the coin is, did I screw up a showdown value opportunity? Did I try to overrealize the equity of a pretty low equity holding? And by doing so, got my butt handed to me. I should have just checked. So you, you want to ask both those questions, right? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I, got, I got to be honest. I mean, I'm, I mentioned early in the podcast, I was thinking about my 2021 season and trying to think of spots where somebody did a thin value bet and then someone else raised. And as I was thinking about that, I can easily come up with 10 examples where I either mistook showdown value for thin value. I made a bet. It was a bad bet. I lost money. I threw good money after bad. I tried to overrealize the equity or I failed to capitalize on a thin value spot. So 10 times, at least 10 times in the last year, I lost out on what I say in the beginning of the podcast, maybe 20, 30, 50 big blinds each time. I easily lost out on 200, 300, 500 big blinds by screwing up a showdown value or thin value proposition. 500 big blinds over... I played 245 hours last year. I know that's not that much, but whatever. That's not trivial. That's some serious money right there. Yeah. So the thing is, is you had a really good 2021. I did. And it could have been even better. How much better could it have been if you had taken these spots properly? How much better could it have been? Well, let's think about it. 200, 300, 500 big blinds. Let's just say I lost out on 300 big blinds at 1-3. I lost out on almost a thousand bucks. Yeah. I mean, for most people, that's a mortgage payment and a car payment or whatever. I don't even know. That is not trivial. You know, that buys a lot of lattes at Starbucks. <laughs> our, our last tool for this is, is coaches. Now, coaching in as much learning as you can, plenty of books, there's plenty of courses. There's so many places that you can improve your poker that you can learn about thin value. Our recommendation is School of Cards. They don't own the patent on it. You don't want to go to School of Cards. We understand there are others out there. It's just the one we recommend, and, and we recommend it highly. We, we've had a lot of success with them. you have anything else on tools that you'd like to add in, BJ? I do not. I think we covered everything. Yeah, I'm excited for 2022. I'm excited to take advantage of the lessons we talked about here for showdown value and thin value and capitalize on those decisions to make 1000 or 1500 or $2,000 extra this year by not playing afraid. That, I thought that was huge. I thought that was huge. I mean, fearful poker is losing poker. That wasn't part of the show notes. That wasn't part of showdown value or thin value. That is absolutely true, and I love it 100%. I don't think I have anything else to add on this. I think it's a great episode. Thank you, Dale, for joining me. Uh, it's been awesome, BJ. It's been very, very awesome. Thank you. All right, and until next week, just remember, fearful poker is losing poker. 
This has been The Blind Stealing the Blinds, a podcast by students of the game for students of the game. If you haven't already done so, consider subscribing. And when you're not counting your chips, take a moment to leave the guys a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get yours. Thank you.